Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the First Baptist Church here in Coleraine, Massachusetts. So glad to have you with us. It's going to be part two, same amount of verses in First Timothy chapter 3, the first seven verses. And the title is, What Qualifies a Pastor? So open in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day. Thank you for the ones that are listening. Thank you for the ones that are here. And we just pray that uh, you'll teach us something from your word and be open to it and learn something new and uh, encourage us to pray even more for church leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's, uh, again, read the first seven verses. First Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So may God give us understanding of his word. We continue on learning about the biblical qualifications for elders. Last week in part one, we learned there are 15 qualifications that qualifies an elder, which is another name for pastor, shepherd, overseer, bishop, reverend, and Jim. No. But like I said last week, uh, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, then no one would qualify. I read an amusing thing. I thought it was amusing. Some people thought it was. I found a few more. The perfect pastor. After hundreds of years, the perfect pastor's been found. He is the church elder who pleases everyone. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and not a minute longer. He never condemns sin and never steps on anybody's toes. Never offends anybody. He works from 8 in the morning till 10 at night doing everything from preaching sermons to cleaning the church. He makes $40 a week and gives $100 back to the church. Read lots of books 
as a perfect family that never makes any mistakes. He's always ready to contribute to every other good cause too, and to help the panhandlers who drop by the church on their way to somewhere. He's tall on the short side. Heavy set in a thin sort of way. And of course, very handsome. He has eyes of blue or brown to fit the occasion. And wears his hair parted in the middle. Left side, dark and straight. Right side, brown and wavy. He makes 50 calls to church members every day. Spends all his time evangelizing non-members and is always found in his study if needed. After all, he only works one hour a week on Sunday. <laughs> but wait, unfortunately, the perfect pastor burned himself out and died at the age of 40. So that's a little amusing for some people. Okay, let's quickly uh, recap from last week and then continue to finish the list of qualifications for an elder. Above reproach, in other words, this is the overall character of a man's life. Husband of one wife, literally a one-woman man. This is in the way of review, those that were here last week. Like I said, being single uh, does not disqualify a pastor, uh, Timothy himself, was a single man, as far as we know. And also, being divorced would also uh, not necessarily disqualify a man to be a pastor also, because uh, if the Holy Spirit uh, objected to that, he would have told Paul that it was inappropriate for a divorced person to be an elder. But he doesn't. It doesn't. But if a pastor is divorced and then remarries again, he must be faithful to that one and only woman that he's married to, a one-woman man. Temperate, able to make sound judgments, a man who has spiritual discernment, and this is very, very important for a pastor to have spiritual discernment. It's a gift. Self-controlled. Not impulsive, doesn't live by his feelings, but led obediently by God's word and his wisdom. Respectable, a person who lives a well-ordered, decent life in every area. Hospitable, given to hospitality. Sociable, quick to open his heart and his home to everybody. Able to teach, obviously able to teach sound doctrine and refute false teaching from the scriptures and guide the flock into God's truth. Not given to drunkenness or not given to much wine, some versions say. Like I said last week, the Bible does not prohibit drinking wine, but it definitely condemns getting drunk. Some people who heard last week's message might be surprised to learn that Jesus drank wine, not just grape juice like some of you have been told to believe. Most likely, though, I'll reiterate those that weren't here, 
The wine that Jesus drank was more than likely diluted because the water wasn't safe to drink in his day. We believe he also drank the fruit of the vine uh, at the Lord's Supper. But of course, Jesus would never condone getting intoxicated. The Bible definitely condemns it. In fact, Jesus' first miracle was at the wedding in Canaan where he turned the water into wine, not grape juice. The best wine was saved till last. Why wasn't it drunk first? They usually give the, the good wine for first and then the, the, the inferior wine second. So if he, Jesus wasn't opposed to drinking wine, he wouldn't have performed that miracle in the first place, would he, logically? Of course, it goes without saying that Jesus would never be intoxicated because it's a sin to get drunk. And Jesus is the only one who never sinned because he was without sin, amen? Because he was perfect. However, he did drink wine because he said himself, when accused by the religious leaders of the day, and I want to look at that in Luke, if you want to turn to it. Luke chapter 7. But still people can't be convinced that Jesus drank wine. But he said himself in verse 33, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. Now, John the Baptist was a Nazarite. He took the Nazarite vows. So it was against the law to drink wine as a Nazarite. But Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was the Nazarene, born in Nazareth, or raised in Nazareth. And this is what Jesus said. For John the Baptist came neither drinking, eating bread nor drinking wine. And he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who always tried to find something against him and condemned him and exaggerated everything that he did to accuse him, amen? And you say, Pharisees, regarding John the Baptist, he has a demon. The son of man, who's that? Jesus, came eating and drinking. This is Jesus' testimony from his own words. And you say he is a glutton, and a glutton is someone who's addicted to food or eats too much. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, or some your version may say wine-bibber, means the same thing. A friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved by all her children. So Jesus did hang out with sinners. The Pharisees didn't, because they thought they were too good to do that ultra-religious, and everything that Jesus did, they condemned him. He drank wine, they, they called him a drunkard. He ate food, they called him a glutton. 
and uh, they exaggerated everything he did in order to condemn him. Not a violent, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Number nine, not violent. Of course, uh, going back to the drinking thing, uh, like I said before, um, young people should never drink alcohol, should never start drinking alcohol, because like I said, most alcoholics, in fact all of them, became addicted to alcohol because they took their first drink. So don't take your first drink and then you won't become an alcoholic. All things in moderation. Okay. Not just drink though, uh, because no Christian should be mastered by any harmful practice or substance. Likewise, an elder should never be a slave to anything that would disqualify him as a church leader. Those of you that have, uh, let's go back to nonviolent, an elder must be able to control his anger so that he doesn't respond to provocation. And being a pastor, he is more likely to be provoked than most people who have different professions because he interacts with so many different kinds of people. Not all nice. Those of you that have uh, good manners well, would be shocked to hear that uh, those who don't respect God's servants. Nonviolent. He should never hit his wife or beat his children. So there you go. I've got to stop doing that, Denise. The Bible tells me. Never beat his children. If he has to discipline, there's the difference between abuse and discipline. If he has to discipline his children, he uses self-control. He doesn't abuse them. There's no place in a Christian home for physical violence. Amen? So this just doesn't apply to pastors. This, is, this applies to all of us. Amen? But the Bible does teach us that we need to discipline our children. It's for their own good. Not a lover of money or not greedy for money. There's many churches always looking for pastors to serve, and many of them can't afford to hire pastors. A lot of pastors are bivocational or retired. Uh, a lot of these uh, seminary graduates, they don't want to serve in a place like this or other small churches because they don't get a good salary. So they don't come. And when, once they graduate and leave Bible colleges, they want the money, the money. Gentle, or that means patient. Still working on that. 
There's several Greek words uh, translated as gentle, and uh, you know I know a little Greek. Zorba Papadopoulos. And uh, not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. There's, a Greek, there's another Greek word for you. A macho. A macho. Now, you've heard the slang term macho, right? He's a macho, macho man. That refers to a man who has to prove how tough he is, right? If you're really tough, you don't have to prove it. So macho is opposite from amacho, all right? There's a difference. A macho man has to prove how tough he is. Macho means he doesn't have to prove it. All right? An elder shouldn't get into fruitless quarrels over any subject. I say fruitless. It's okay to have a, you know, a debate, but just quarrel over a nitpicking. No. Forget it. Why bother? It's not going to change people's opinions anyway. Shouldn't get into fruitless quarrels, not quarrelsome over any subject, even though I'm right, you know. No. He's not to prove his manhood or force his opinions, not a spiritual bully or an angry man. All right? Again, not a lover of money, free from the love of money. Bible doesn't say that God wants every believer to be financially rich, like some prosperity preachers teach today, that we all should be rich. God wants all of us to be rich. Jesus himself says, the poor will always be with you, but God is always gonna provide for our needs, amen, if you're a believer. And sometimes, thankfully, for our wants, but be careful what you ask for. Because when you get it, you wish you hadn't have asked for it. Because it may not do you any good. Having riches is not wrong. Not wrong at all. But it could also be spiritually dangerous. And we'll get to this in chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So the more money you've got, it's like the, uh, the prodigal son when he demanded his money from his father and he took off and he started to squander all that money he had lots of friends then. You know, if you've got plenty of money and he spent it on riotous living with prostitutes and drinking, getting drunk and living the high life. But when he lost it all and he was having to feed the, eat the, the pods that the pigs were eating, nobody wanted to know him then. So be careful. It's a snare and many foolish and harmful desires plunge men into ruin and destruction. So we shouldn't be a lover of money. 
because the, the love of money is what? The root of all evil. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. This includes all aspects of the elder's life, his family life, his relationship with his wife, their finances, his relationship with his children. They should be in submission, dealing with them in a proper manner so that they behave in a proper manner, in a dignified and respectable manner towards their parents and also to other people. That should be expected of children, amen? We need to teach them that, to be respectful. Behave in a dignified, respectable manner, not only towards their parents, but other people. Now that doesn't mean an elder's children should never disobey, because we all do. And it does, don't expect a pastor's children to be perfect little angels because they're not, and they never will be. Neither will you, neither will I, amen? This is the ouya. We had men's breakfast yesterday morning, thank you guys, had a wonderful breakfast. And when I said amen, I asked them to say, what is it? Do it, Joe. It's a military thing. So I don't know whether I should train you to do that. Some of you don't even say amen, so. It's like they're having a heart attack. Okay. Where were we? Be respectful. I demand it. Okay. But if his own children disrespect him, how can the church respect him? It's not going to happen. All right. Now, this is one we didn't cover last week. He must not be a recent convert. In other words, not a novice, not a greenhorn, American term. Obviously, a new convert, a new Christian, should not have had time to develop these 15 leadership qualities. You know, in, in any walk of life, it takes time to learn the profession. Right? It takes time to serve an apprenticeship. And they shouldn't just put somebody in as a pastor unless they've done some menial tasks and served in other areas within the church, whether it be an usher or whatever the case may be. It takes time to develop. Uh, it takes time to obtain a grasp of the scriptures, although we're all students of the word and we don't know it all, we never will. It takes time to develop relationships, skills with people. And not every, a pastor who doesn't have relational skills with people shouldn't be a pastor. Amen? Ooh. Did I say it right now? You know, some, some of them just don't have people skills. They're not sociable. Some of them are downright antisocial, aren't they? Have you met someone like that? Don't bother nodding. 
I don't want to know their names. You know, I remember uh, there's one church that should remain nameless. Huge church. Pastor had been there for a long, long, long time. Everybody loved him, you know. And then they brought in this seminary grad, knew everything there is to know about the Bible, could quote it verbatim, but he had no relationship skills. Incident came up in the church. He handled it completely wrong. And as a result of that, the church split. Half of them left. Some of them stayed behind. So that's, uh, you've got to, must not be a new convert. And there's also the danger of a new convert, it says there, being conceited, big-headed. If you put a new convert into a leadership role, he can become conceited or some versions say puffed up, puffed up with their own importance. In other words, spiritually proud. Amen? He said he must, I'm almost finished. He must have a good reputation with outsiders. Outsiders meaning people that don't go to church normally and the non-believers. Or in other words, having a good report, a good testimony. He should be recognized in the community as a man of moral character and uh, proper conduct. His business dealings should be honest, and none of us should cheat on our taxes. Above board, above board. And I hope you're not bored this morning. Different spelling. Of course, this should be true of all Christians. It not just apply to pastors. We should be trustworthy. Amen. We should trustworthy. You know, we may be laughed at by some people and mocked because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You take that and wear that as a badge of honor, if you are. Some people mock us. Some may slander us because of our faith in Christ. Why do they do that? Why do they feel so uncomfortable? Because we've got the Holy Spirit living within us and they feel convicted of their own sin. It, just by being in our presence, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and hopefully that would lead them to Christ. All right, so don't be afraid to share your faith. Well, how do you do that? Well, you could simply say, what's the best thing that ever happened in your life? And they'll tell you, well, I got married, or whatever the case, you know, I bought a Corvette, whatever. And then you say, we say, do you want to hear the best thing that's ever happened to me? Of course, if they were extremely rude, they'd, they'd say no. And most people say, oh, well, okay, you've heard my, what I, what I like, so what's the best thing that ever happened to you? You tell them, the day I received Jesus as my personal savior, and then you can give your testimony. 
because nobody can take that testimony away from you personally because each one of us have got their own personal testimony and every personal testimony is different but it's got the same result we became a believer in Jesus amen Ooh, a good testimony amongst unbelievers our friends our unsaved friends our unsaved relatives anybody you come into contact where your faith is a badge of honor right they need the Lord everybody needs the Lord but we shouldn't give them any cause to accuse us of any ungodly behavior or wrongdoing so we have to walk circumspectly that's a beautiful word isn't it I'll explain what that means later okay finally honest let me quote it says here in verse 7 it talks about the devil's trap I just want to have a look at that for a couple of seconds he's referring to pastors or would-be pastors elders he must also have a good reputation with outsiders covered that one so that he will not fall into disgrace and how many have fallen into disgrace and there but for the grace of God go I not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap you know the devil's trying to trap us trying to trap us he set snares for us snares of the devil and he also sets snares for church leaders you know I've got a far bigger target on my back than you do trying to the devil is trying to tempt us to ruin our testimony by us falling into sin and it's happened so many times so many quite famous godly Christian men that have fallen into sin into the snare of the devil so we've got to be so so careful and take heed the Bible says take heed lest you fall right so none of us are beyond falling into sin into disgrace that's why it's so important to pray for church leaders our deacons pastors every day because the devil's out to get us but we have the victory in Jesus Christ amen please pray for your pastors your deacons church leaders like I say they've got a bigger target on their back than the average believer because one way you know we are the body of Christ and one way to kill the body is what you cut off the head you cut off the head so that concludes part two regarding the qualifications for pastors and uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank you all for putting up with me every day 
And I also thank God for calling me and putting me in the ministry. I considered it a real privilege and an honor that I don't deserve, that he says that I do, I'll take it. By the grace of God, we'll keep on serving him, Denise and I, for as long as we're able, by the grace of God, whether here or elsewhere. I say to these pastors, when we meet once a month, someone thinking about retiring, Moses didn't start his ministry till he was 80 years old. And I'm going to retire when I expire. And by his grace, continue to do the best that we can. With his help, be faithful to teach and preach the wonderful word of God. What a privilege. And aim to give him the only one who deserves the credit, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. And God bless you all. And those that were listening to this message, Facebook and uh, YouTube, give us a like and subscribe so we can get this word out to as many people. Again, thank you so much and uh, God bless you all and have a wonderful week till we meet again. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.